Hi everybody, I just want to show you my new favorite trash bag by Hefty, made by Glad. You bigot. People need to wake up. Like, it's time to wake up. Put it in layman's terms. The Social Psycho Confabulation with Ben and Mr. A. As far as real estate is concerned, extremely corrupt. As far as politics is concerned, extremely corrupt. And we have like, I think we have the most corrupt elections. Like that's like a, that's not a conspiracy. That's like a rating we get oh. every year. That like, like which I which didn't state even has, know that. I think it's like the first or second worst in the nation, which makes sense because oh, there was this guy that had this legal thing with the courts recently, Garland Favorito, who I've met actually, strangely enough, and. uh it was all going to go. Like Everything was going great. Whatever this thing was he was dealing with had something to do with elections. Because we had, Georgia had weird elections recently. Not as bad as Arizona, but everyone was like, oh, there's some scam in, in Georgia. And this guy's not left or right. He's just an integri uh, election integrity guy. Because he's made a fuss when Democrats lost when he thought they should have won. And he's made a fuss when Republicans have lost when he thought they should have won. Like He doesn't really care. He just mm. looks at elections. And he was like going through the court system. He was like getting, I mean, he, it was like over a year, maybe more than that, maybe like two or three years. And then just one day they went and he went to court and they said, just, you have no standing. This is all gone now. And he was like, what? <laughs> so it, it was the court so, it, just dismissed his yeah, case or whatever. Because he didn't have standing. It was like, like he had what evidence. It means like, like you wouldn't have standing if you tried to, let's say you try to sue me or something, but you weren't personally damaged. Like some, like I did do something like, like theoretically I could, oh, I think mm. in theory I could do something wrong and you could sue me, but you didn't really get damaged. But, I wasn't the victim. Or maybe you weren't the primary, you know, something, because it's all kind of squirrely anyways. Mm. So it's hard to say it, it doesn't work right as it is, but I think that's how they dismissed his thing, which I thought was weird because he had like actual evidence of harm. But I guess the theory was like, we may have evidence about election problems in Georgia, but you personally weren't affected by it. Like you are not the claimant basically. So hmm. bye-bye. And he was like, what? I mean, wow. I'm, I'm that's like, weird. how does that work? Like, I mean, how else would you get justice? Like there's a problem with the elections. What would you do? Like, you can't because if I if that sets a precedent that like if elections go wrong I'm the one that brings a suit it doesn't matter because it's not me that needs to be bringing the suit someone else you know what I mean it's like what that doesn't make sense anyway I don't know if that's worth yeah. leaving in but it is interesting how wild this stuff mm. is and our senator because I ran a senate campaign for Libertarian Party one time back when I thought I was Libertarian and uh, at some point just because I was in that world I heard that's where I heard like the real estate game in Georgia is like a scam. And I was researching the, the current senator at the time, Johnny Isaacson, and uh, everything he did, like all his money, his fortune, all came from real estate dealings. And that was corrupt, what he did. I can't, whatever. No one cares because it's just Georgia. But like we had this doctor come to us. He was in a medical school and he was about to become a doctor. Now he's a doctor. And something weird happened because he came – he was a Republican. He was a young guy and he went to – 
a building where republic like a headquarters of some kind for republicans i don't know something political and uh he talked to some guy and the guy was like i guess he brought up the fact that johnny isaacson our last senator that we had had parkinson's and he was like a bajillion years old and he mentioned that to the guy and the guy was like yeah don't worry about that he's just going to win the election and then he's just going to step down and when you do that, you can pass it on to a Republican. That way you secure the election. So this guy thought that was fucked hmm. up. <laughs> so he came to the Libertarian Party candidate and was like, I just want to tell you something. This is what their plan is. They're going to get elect, get the election, use the incumbent to get the election, and step down because his health is failing. And he did, just didn't like that. And so we, the candidate for the Libertarian Party was a, was a was um, a lawyer. So he was like, will you sign an affidavit and let's like do this official and you can make a statement. And we recorded it. We did like a deposition basically with this guy. And, uh, eventually it all turned out to be correct. That's basically kind of what happened. If I remember correctly. Um, but at some point along the way, someone got to him, that medical student as he was graduating. And he came back to us. Like this was like a year or more later. It was like, can you take that video down? And we were like, but well, you swore under an affidavit what's going on. And he was like, I'm just having problems because of that video. And I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to like get my medical license. What? Yeah, it was really weird. That's it wrong. Was so strange. I didn't know that corruption like that was going on in the state or whatnot. Well, I guess you wouldn't notice if you kind of tend to lean. It's the South. You know, so like everyone's a Republican. They say they try to pretend that's not the case. But the reality is everyone's a Republican because in the South, people love their guns. That's a huge well, part part of it. They're a little bit more religious. Like yeah. some people are like single voter issues. Like if I and I'm like that, like I would not I don't vote really normally because everyone's is corrupt. But like I would never vote for somebody if they had a platform of like somehow criminalizing firearms. And that's how most people are down here. I mean, there's a lot of people that are against abortion. You know, it's the South. What was my point? Well, corruption. Maybe if you lean conservative, you don't notice. Yeah, if you, you wouldn't notice it because you're just like, well, this is working out, kind of. You know, it's not really working out because they are corrupt and everyone kind of knows that. But they're like, well, at least they are like a backstop for these couple things that I'm really worried about that seem to be under fire from the other side. So it's kind of funny. It's like a good uh, thing you can analyze in that way and look at like our elections and be like, it's really corrupt. It's known to be really corrupt. I don't even know if you kind of surveyed people for the most part on average, if they'd really care because it's like kind of sort of seems to be corrupt almost in their favor. We live in a world where there's one other option and the other option is anti you, you know? So it's just, it's interesting how that falls. Yeah. Well, sure. Probably it's hard to be corrupt, too, along the party line that's not the state's majority, because then the majority would be like, your party's corrupt, and then we're you know, we going to elect someone else or whatever. It's so sad. Yeah, it's sad. What if it wasn't corrupt? Or what if it weren't corrupt, I guess you would say? It'd be awesome. It'd be awesome, but be I don't know if you can prevent <laughs> it. Yeah. Like, in the words of Jane Goodall, how do you stop corruption? <laughs> And I just don't know. It's just, it happens at every level of society and humanity. I don't know what you do about it. Yeah, I don't either. Speaking of which, 
I have a little article I wanted to read to you. So, the title of this article is The Hyperlocal Micro-Influencer Campaign That May Have Impacted the Wisconsin Supreme Court Race. Okay. This is an article by Marketing Brew, um, but I think it's secondary reporting of another article, but regardless, it's about this thing that happened. And there's this agency, a marketing agency, People First, that sought out people uh, with small followings on social media who don't usually post about politics to post about issues and the upcoming election. A marketing agency did this? So People First was the agency, I guess. Uh, the, the marketing agency found local micro-influencers in the state to post about issues like abortion and gun control before the election on April 4th. The posts were part of a campaign with A Better Wisconsin Together, an organization representing progressive interests in the state. So it sounds like the agency was hired or working with Some A Better Wisconsin Together. Yeah. yeah. And so I thought it was really strange. So basically they hired these people to post about the issues, progressive issues, and the upcoming election uh, for the Wisconsin Supreme Court. And they paid people 200 to $300 per post and encouraged them to post about what issues were most important to them as they related to the election. Mm. So this sounds I thought this was really weird because it's different than advertising. Like, you can have qualms about advertising, but I feel like here we've really crossed a line maybe because I don't think from what it sounds like in the article that people would realize if they were just scrolling on Instagram that these things were paid for, like that these were sponsored this unless is, they noted them. This is exactly – it's interesting that this bothers you because it reminds me a lot of the <laughs> Red Robin conspiracy. Oh, my God. You know? Because the it's lack like, of transparency. Yeah, it's like – I get it, but also you're tricking me and you know you're tricking me. Like that's the whole point is to trick me. I guess, yeah, I don't know about Red Robin, but this one it seemed particularly oh, it's bad to me because it's like you're influencing elections essentially by buying people's voices without letting people know that you've done that. So this is very apropos seems, as I drink a Bud that, Light platinum. I didn't oh buy God. this, but I figure I might as well announce it. It's my reparations for making anything that may have been construed as an anti-trans comment because I misgendered somebody yesterday at CBS. Oh my God, you bigot! But that's for another time. Oh my God, that'll keep them hooked. Well. Beautiful. Anyway, I was just saying, yeah, I think it's interesting because what is it like when we live in a society where you can't tell what is people authentically communicating their thoughts versus what is bots versus what is paid for by someone else? And in general, what would it be like to live in a society where your voice can be purchased? Like your voice is for sale. What you have to say is for sale. That seems bad. On principle. There's something to this. I actually have been thinking about this recently because the other day, so I was scrolling on a social media and something came up 
and sometimes it'll say sponsored so you know that like what you're really watching is like so there's like a feed like say it's instagram or whatever there's like you scroll and there's like video 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 or picture 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 whatever you know and then every now and then it'll be like interrupted by something that looks exactly like a post it kind of is a post but it's like a sponsored ad for like whatever toothpaste whatever yeah yeah so this one popped up and i got confused i was like did i hypnotize myself with this scrolling mechanism (laughs) because i was looking at something and i like i literally i can't really describe it but i just it was almost like i got too high like that was like the sensation you know i'm like what's happening what's real like is this real like but i was having an experience with this post i'm like is this an what is this is this an ad like it feels like an ad Mm. and i can't tell but i didn't know if if I showed it to Kim, you know, sitting next to me, is this an ad? She might have been able to tell me, like, yeah, what are you looking at that for? Or she might have been like, no, it's just some weird post. I don't know what I was looking at. But it felt like an ad. And that happened to me on that particular day. Something's wrong with my Instagram feed right now. So that particular day, that happened to me like two or three times. And sometimes you get that where someone, <laughs> it's like a regular ad. I mean, a regular account, but they're p- pushing a product. and But that's sure. kind of obvious because they're like, Hi, everybody. I just want to show you my new favorite trash bag by Hefty, made by Glad. You know, and you're just like, <laughs> what, what is this? Crap? Sponsored by Hefty. You literally, you know, something like that. But it wasn't this. So this wasn't that. It was a, if it was an ad, it was more subtle. And I just, I, it hit me that I was like, I don't know if this is an ad or not. It may and it may not be. But it feels like it might have been paid for. So whether it was or it wasn't, I could totally see somebody so maybe this was a micro, whatever the hell that thing was Influencer. you just said. Influencer, super blah, blah, blah. Maybe it was something like that. And it was paid because yeah. it, it came across as weird. It felt promo-y, but not really. Not like it was inauthentic. It just felt like kind of when like they used to do – so I was watching a David Letterman, an old, old, old one where he was like interviewing Tiny Tim. And it was kind of weird because he's sitting there doing the David Letterman show, smoking a cigarette on TV. <laughs> but I never actually saw him hit the cigarette. So I was like, I wonder if they, I, I probably, the cigarette companies paid him to just have a cigarette in his hand. Oh my God. You know what I mean? So it's like, I get product placement, but it was something between that. And it, it, I had the same thought, like, what does it mean once we live in a world where this really, really, really busy town square, whatever that is. The attention economy. That place we interact with. Yeah. This, this place where a lot of our attention goes is 50% bullshit, like full-fledged bullshit. Yeah. It's well, weird. so, yeah, it's weird. I want to say, though, so I think, like, historically, this may not be anything new because influencer marketing to me is just the rebranded referral marketing, which has been around a long time, where people would, like, write blog posts or web pages where you get a referral fee. Marketing is super old. Yeah. And then, too, we talked about before, like, I looked at an old National Geographic magazine from 1928 and literally all but like six pages of the thing. And it was long. It was like 50 to 100 pages were ads. So like 80 percent of it was ads. Um, So I don't know if like we're getting more ads than we were before. But I will say the thing that struck me was that the line between ads and real content, like authentic, genuine reporting or whatever, that's not trying to get you to buy anything is getting blurrier and blurrier um, to where I think it's on both sides too. Like I think the ads, like the micro influencers, those look like real people and it's hard to tell. But then I also think people 
are a little bit commoditizing themselves. Like people a talk about bit. having their brands now. No, and you're 100%. like, are you a product? <laughs> look, when I look at my, so my Instagram, I haven't posted in a long time because I've kind of taken a pause from what I've been doing. And because it used to be a lot of like garden stuff and the stuff that I was doing. And then I had to take a break. So I was like, well, fine. And I, the other day I was looking at, at my, my own page and I realized that my Instagram looks like an Instagram from about 10 years ago. It's all still pictures. It's like very personal, which may be a product of my age and when like we, we, I was when you joined or whatever. Well, because I was around when Facebook became a thing, you know, like when mm. it was like invented or whatever. Mark, it became something. Right. Before that, we had all these other things and they were not quite there yet. And it was all about your friends and connecting and seeing what your friends are doing. And it's really not about that at all anymore. There's like a couple people that I follow that are personal accounts that I follow for some reason, like they're personally interesting or they've had a few posts that are interesting to me. But most of what I see on the feeds is highly entertaining. So that's what's being pushed to the front. And those things are so entertaining that they do become commoditized in a way. You know, but and even if like they start, content creators, they're like, like you're a content yes. producer. So I'm thinking of like the inter- one of the interesting facets here is like the influencer. Like that is it just another term for a celebrity? And right now, there's a lot of celebrities. An influencer is just a celebrity that not everybody knows, but a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. It's this micro thing, you know what I mean? Because I follow people that have like a thousand likes on their videos. But then you'll see some other like actual celebrities that have like 30, 50, 60, 70, 80, 100, a million, you know, likes or whatever comments on their thing. But ultimately, they're the same thing. Yeah. I don't know. But I was just interested in, yeah, this this blurring of the lines between ads and sponsored content or whatnot and authentic, honest, free speech. Um, and I think it does seem to me that if we can't tell the difference between those things, that seems to pose an existential threat to democracy, civilized society, whatever you want to say, because, I mean, it is like the 2049 Blade Runner apocalypse, like where literally corporations own everything, including you, like your voice. Like if they can buy what you have to say, then... You know, it's like some. Uh, this it reminds me of this book that was highly criticized by economists called "The Moral Limits of Markets," and it was written by this That's ha- Harvard. Super familiar sounding. Yeah, it was written by this Harvard Business School professor, and he even talked about it openly in the book. How a lot of his colleagues, who were economists, criticized him heavily for the book, and said that you know these aren't rational arguments. The economic arguments to this are say that this is good activity. This is fine, and he pointed out that like. Market ideology is great. It's done a lot of good for society. (laughs) But on some level, it goes too far. And maybe we should think about some cases where things shouldn't be for sale. And so one of the things he was talking about was like prostitution. He was like, is it okay that people are selling their bodies and people who are in severe economic depravity are maybe forced into conditions where they're selling their body? Is that okay? Because the economic argument would be like, 
well, those people have decided, you know, the money is worth it to the sex work that they're doing or whatever. But often these are people who are making very little money. And if they had the opportunity not to do that, they probably wouldn't. And so, you know, you're just asking some of these questions. And so he goes through case after case of like, is this morally right? Like, should this be for sale? And it really resonated with me, despite the fact that I studied economics in school. Um, and I could understand the economics argument. What was the moral underpinning of prostitution not being legal? Yeah, so I think he sort of makes the argument like these are conditions of depravity and that these people are being forced into these decisions that they wouldn't otherwise make because of their circumstance or whatever. I feel like th- but I feel like that's true of like working at McDonald's. Yeah, that's a good point. I think, you know, you could probably take different approaches. That's one argument maybe is like, you know, this is not right because these people wouldn't make these decisions in other circumstances, which that's a tenuous argument like you're pointing out. And I you could I could see it either way. It's like, you know, well, if that's wrong, then maybe working at McDonald's is wrong. And how do we think about, you know, what decision like if I were rich, like I wouldn't make a lot of decisions I make now. So, yeah, there's right. problems with that. But I think, yeah, you could take other positions that are like just I think he tried to point out examples that really do kind of shock your conscience a little bit, like mm-hmm. really do make you stop and wonder. And and you do kind of go like, is that like, would I do that? Would I let my children do that? You know, like, yeah. and if I don't think it's good, do I think it's anyone should be doing it? Like, do you do I think I should condone this behavior for other people in our community and society? if I wouldn't personally do it or think that my children should do it. And so he goes through uh, some different examples of that. Like another one, for example, was like the Chinese ticket system uh, with hospitals. And so they had a very supposedly like meritocratic system of hospital administration where they would just give you tickets. And so if you needed to go to the doctor, you would get a ticket and it was free essentially. I think, or very low cost. How is that meritocratic? Well, because it wasn't, it supposedly wasn't based on how much you could pay or whatever. Like anyone could get I feel like if it was based on how much you could pay, it would almost be like meritocratic. This is more like very Mm. egalitarian, maybe is a better word. Yeah, yeah. Super egalitarian. Like whatever, no matter who you are, you get the ticket and you get to go. But maybe yeah, if you're yeah. really a CEO, you might get to go ahead. That might be more meritocratic. But, I mean, depending on how you think about it, it might not be. I mean, to be honest. Exactly. <laughs> but that was the point. So he was saying that people were buying and selling these tickets. And so people would go stand in these lines to get the tickets because the lines were super long because there was too much demand for the hospitals. And they would stand in these long, long lines. And then they would get these tickets and then they would sell them for huge amounts of profit. Um, and he oh, was like, so they were just doing what acceptable? they would do. They were literally doing what I just said, making they were a just, market they, out they of put, it. The, yes. the middleman got in and decided, Hey, I could actually make this more, uh, economical if I just get in line right. and sell them secondhand. Yeah. Or another example, even better one here home, I think he shared is, uh, professional line standers. Have you heard about this? I have heard of this. Yeah. Where you people you can pay people to stand in line at like congressional and government buildings to get into meetings and press conferences and all sorts of things that you might want to attend that are open to the public but are limited in capacity because these rooms are only so big and whatnot. And he was saying that don't we find it concerning that 
people can pay for this because the people who can pay the most for attending these government public events are obviously corporations. And so then he's like, this is a stone's throw away from corporate lobbied government, corporate interests ruling the people. Um, and these things are supposed to be open to anyone who wants to go hear them, but they're not because of these professional line standards that are in the back pockets of companies. And so he points out cases like this over and over where he's like, I this agree. Be for in, sale? That, in that case, I do think there's something to be said because if we're going to have a democracy or even anything democratic at all, so we have like a democratic republic is how it's supposed to kind of be set up. It's maybe not so much, but I see this in this particular case as it's probably not what people usually think of when they say this, but it's something we've all heard. And it's usually in the context of we need to get money out of politics. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if it's something's going to be for political purposes and have some democratic flavor to it, I think that is, I actually may, I don't know, you know, I haven't thought it through, but just sitting here now, I think, I do have a, a, something like a knee jerk towards not allowing that that's kind of wrong. thing to happen. Like that's not right because this is the whole thing here that we are supposed. The whole thing you're doing, you call literally you yourself, who's being seen by corporations or people from the public. The whole thing you're doing, you claim, is democracy. Mm. But in reality, what's being done is nine times out of ten, you're actually taking money. You're literally on, on the take. <laughs> or one step removed from that, some other money is the line standing is is actually, I think, almost like that could be in a in like a Bible or something. Because it's like it's so uh symbolic of what happens mm. all the time. Like I'm like some other companies just like, well, I won't be too corrupt about it. I'll just pay you to stand here in line because I don't want to do that. Right. But that's, yeah, kind of what I was saying earlier is like when your voice is for sale, like, and especially it's problematic when you think about our politicians and our leaders, their voice being for sale and what they have to say and what yeah, that's they a whole want other level. advocate. Yeah, exactly. And so I think, and the line gets blurry because it's, it's usually not direct. It's not like literally the congressperson standing up and being like, blah, 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 sponsored by, you know, Kellogg. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, you know, secretly this they're getting endorsements by This is brought to you by, by Halliburton. Kellogg. We need to, <laughs> I have this bill here for uh, the production of one million missiles made by Halliburton. Which, which would almost does be happen. fine, honestly. I wouldn't even mind on some level if that were how it works. If, like, in, if, if democracy like... <laughs> was injected at any point during that whole situation, it would be cool. But the one point of de democratic injection the injection site there is that that line basically like right, who gets right. to stand in front of this person and make their case and there's something to be said for the fact that one way or another that corporation sure they could pay to stand in line but you know what else they can do what if you say you know what i'm not gonna let anybody pay to stand in line i'm not even gonna see any corporations fuck corporations that's the kind of politician i'm gonna be well that's dangerous because that corporation is still worth billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. Amazon still wants to put their facility in your town. So they're just going to fuck you some other way, you know, and that's a problem. It is probably, there's probably all these little laws here and there, but clearly they're not working. Whatever the laws are, they're probably written by those same corporations, you know, because yeah. it, it's not working out because that kind of shit happens yeah. all the time. 
because you you'd want to say well there's some way in you know like what if because we're talking also you were talking about like social media well as that evolves and now we do have thousands and thousands and thousands millions probably of many celebrities like they could if they had any humanity left in them as opposed to like corporation you know what they've kind of become this mark this like business kind of thing their their brand you know whatever they are mm. if they had any kind of like humanity left to them that's great that would be great because you'd have a bunch of real people with a little bit of imp- with a little more influence than a single person normally could have they have influence mm. they have a big sphere of influence true representation by the common man maybe all you have to do so if we, if we were famous and we had more than four listeners we could say something and it would thank have you, four listeners thank you <laughs> i mom i think no yeah. <laughs> yeah so but if we had that you know we could cuz i've thought of, i've even said this to you like oh well once i get my business started i'll just like pump, pump it on the <laughs> the podcast but it's like even without any marketing real actual marketing like just a human if we were just popular based on our humanity and then we just mm-hmm. said something like some weird shit was coming down the pike, like this line stander thing. We could be like, hey, exactly. do you know this was a thing? And then wherever the bulk of our listeners, if they happen to be localized in any way, if they if they just got the info, because now we have power. So if, if they had the info, it might just kind of create a little an issue. And this happens better, easier in uh, like other countries. Like I just heard a story about in France, there was like a popular or in europe i think it was in france mostly because they're the badasses of europe they had this really popular store it would have been like a kroger or a Publix, you know some big popular store grocer decided they weren't going to be like not taking cash anymore and (laughs) sorry that was my cat (laughs) she likes to say they decided they weren't going to be oh go ahead they they, they, They weren't going to be taking cash anymore. And so all these people somehow it coordinated because vive la France, I suppose they all started getting huge baskets of, of groceries and going to the cash register and being like, or the cashier and be like, Oh, I'm paying for cash. Oh, you don't take cash. I guess you have to put all this gro- these groceries back. I'll go somewhere else. And so everyone was doing this so much. So, Oh, that was the dog. Sorry. So much. So, <laughs> That uh, I think they reversed their decision in one day or maybe it was one week. It was like extremely quickly to not take cash to going back to. They were cash. like, yeah, OK, we'll take cash because this is bullshit. And it's not mm. because they don't want to not take cash. They they obviously want to be cashless for some reason, whatever. Sure. But the thing what the problem was, is that these fucking people, these plebs, these peasants are screwing me you know they're like making me put back too many gro- i can't even pay enough people to put all these groceries back on the shelves so mm. i'm saying that in a in a sense that's some level of influence like maybe they heard about that from someone or- but now but the problem is all these celebrities don't have any humanity like you said so every single mm. time a celebrity's paid it's the same thing they're just being paid to stand in line hey will you just can you say this you got a lot of friends will you say this you, could you yeah. just say it? Because that'll help a lot. All you have to do is say it, you know, or all you have to do is just, can you just drink, riddle me this. Why does every single podcast that's popular on YouTube, especially comedians, why do they all drink liquid death? It's in every freaking video I see. I don't even know or what promote it is. AG1, Athletic Greens that's, or whatever. That's like, 
direct like you know it's an ad because most of these podcasters and mm-hmm, youtubers mm-hmm. suck at like reading ads <laughs> they're like we would like to thank you for the support of better fresh i mean better help yeah. i just combined hello fresh and better help but uh anyway <laughs> you, you get my point it's hello like, help so who, the same person who can pay to have somebody stand in line like you were saying corporations hey we want to keep pumping toxic chemicals into the water supply stand in line guy and then when, when you get there tell us or tell them this that's called right, lobbying right. or exactly but that you remove that from the cycle and now you have all these micro influencers or these little celebrities and they go well fuck we'll just go to the celebrities Hey, all you people, we'll give you two hundred dollars. Just say this every every time you make a video that gets ten thousand views, we'll pay two hundred dollars as long as you say this in it. And so the power yeah. dynamic is fucked up there too. It really makes me think that the only solution to any of these kind of things is that people. I'm gonna say a cliche because it's fun. People need to wake up. Like it's time to wake up. Wake up. Because that's the only thing that's going. That power is power. We're going to have a conversation one day because we had this conversation on the phone a long time ago. And it's one of the conversations that made me think we should have a podcast is the question Mm. about rights. Do rights exist? And I came to the conclusion hypothetically in the conversation, which don't take my word for it. Wait till the episode comes out. But that might makes right. Like people say, oh, what do you think might makes right? That doesn't even think about it, though. Like, what does that mean? It means that whoever has the power the might the might gets to make the rules and because what take what they want because yeah, what's wrong is breaking the rules so whatever the rule says as long as you do that then it's right so can you have a right well you can have whatever those people in power say that you can have as far as rights are concerned so that's mm-hmm, an issue mm-hmm. that seems so put that aside it's the same kind of we'll like come back. really intense problem where you're like how the how do you you can't take might because because okay now we go to libertarian argument let's take that might away then well that's like the same thing that the communists say the fascists say the every single one of these violent super violent revolutions that's the same kind of thing it's like this idea marxism It's, it's all the same or even redistribution of wealth take it from those motherfuckers it's like that's the wrong approach that's the equivalent equivalence especially in the libertarian argument of violence so we all know that two wrongs don't make a right or that violence begets vi- begets violence whatever hate begets hate hate cannot right. root out hate right well, who was that martin luther king yeah so with that being the case you have to figure something out though nevertheless you still have to figure something out and i think well because thing- still yeah someone has to ensure that there's no violence or that everything is distributed right. equally so you still have someone right and the Some and group. the other the flip side of the coin is one day you may have that might you may have the power and won't you want to wield it assuming mm, you can hold mm-hmm. on to your humanity as you as you you know come into it right and, and that takes us back to corruption I think which is yeah the problem it's like how do you prevent corruption and I think a lot of the things we were talking about it's like the totalitarian totalitarian tiptoe to me because. It's like it's never shout out David Ike, you know, directly. Like it's not like the senators going into the Congress room and being like, Halliburton told me that I need to advocate for this bill, and they paid me three million dollars. And it's not it's like Halliburton <laughs> goes in and says, "Listen, Senator, 
We need to blow motherfuckers up. We need to kill people. We need to blow up towns. We need to blow up cities. We need to fly over them with helicopters and jump out and shoot them with ARs. Like they're not, that's not even how the pitch goes in the first place. The pitch yeah. doesn't even matter. They could say some, anything, not some nice, beautiful thing, because you know what? At the end of the day, it comes along with a big stack of cash and that's all that matters. Right? And Isn't people it? are always going to find a way to play the rules, play the game, play the system, sneak around it, skirt around the regulations. Which and is so, kind of yeah, fun. It's like, how do you prevent bit. corruption? Yeah. You make a few extra bucks when you do that kind of thing. But yeah, in those particular cases, especially in and it's the on case every of level. politics. Right. Yeah. Like you were saying, well, the one you were talking about was literally affecting election outcomes, obviously concerning. There's also right. just the shit that I was encountering, which was. Am I literally spending my time watching an ad right now? I do not know. Like, I don't know what's right. going on. But it, that particular example points to something, a possibility for how that kind of thing ends, is you realize it's just the same thing's going to happen with ChatGPT. It goes right? too far at some point, maybe. Well, ChatGPT is like kind of obvious right now. There's all these AI voice generators. And you can, if you listen, you can kind of tell, you know, like you're like, eh. mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Adam Curry thinks that one day that we'll eventually, we'll develop an ear for it. And that's possible, but it's going to accelerate at, at the same time we're accelerating. So you'll be tricked. You'll see some AI thing that's a video generated or voice generated and you'll fall for it. And so you right. won't know. When someone did say something and they didn't say something, is this pill going to make my dick grow a three inches bigger? Because Joe Rogan said it would. And I can't imagine Joe Rogan would say that if it wasn't true. But, oh, wait, that was a fake ad. Because this is one, this is something like that came up recently mm -hmm. where th someone yeah. made that kind of ad. And he was like, yeah, I never said that. But I, I, someone just did this thing on some AI platform. So what what can we do? I My thought is... In that case, it's obvious. I think it's applicable to the other cases. Don't fucking believe that shit. If you see it on the internet in some digital form, it's literally, it's like it's 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 building its own coffin in a way, you know, because it's it, they're doing dumber and dumber shit with the technology and expecting that we're so dumb that we will just buy it whole hog. We'll take the whole thing. yes. B Ro B Biden didn't say that. Joe Rogan does have a pill that makes your dick grow three inches. Amazing. But but that's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen if you... There's always going to be idiots out there. But like for me, I realized I just have to like always be reminding myself and eventually it'll just be... It'll settle in for me and I'll just be like, duh. It's how come old people get caught up in scams that young people would never get caught up in. They kind of know yeah. how it works a little bit. And so what what do they do? They go, yeah, everything online's fake. It's all bullshit. So you go, oh, yeah. yeah. And I think that's a good thing. Maybe like skepticism or general media literacy, I think, yeah. You know, yeah. as we've developed media literacy for the internet, people will develop that sort of literacy for AI and whatnot. Um, or, or, but we'll also change culturally. Hopefully, people, it will become a thing. People mm. will stop believing shit they see online. Our grandmother on mm, 420 yeah. posted a picture a meme that said, at 4.20 a.m., the moon is going to be green on 4.20. Which is obviously just some pot thing. Like, 4.20, it's the weed day. At 4.20 sure. a.m., the moon's going to be green. She posted that when she was alive, being like, this is going to be great. And I think she even commented that it was <laughs> bullshit because she got up at 4.20 and it wasn't green. You know, so it's like, 
what the fuck are you doing? But oh my god, oh so, like she believed it and she literally no no like, like, it, oh it wasn't god. like a funny like so she all these four twenty people were posting that like as like a funny, and then she got oh, it god. and was like posted it seriously. Oh, like no. there's gonna be a, a green moon. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So sad. Anyways, but my point is, what happens next? Like, so when everybody starts going, ah, the internet's bullshit. People are doing it to the news too. Ah, the news is full of shit. They're all partisan. I can't. You can't trust anything. This they're talking about some trans fucking beer shit, and while they're sending gajillions of dollars around the world to bomb people in different places and inflation's through the roof and cobalt's mined by slaves and the new iPhone's coming out and this thing's happening and this black guy shot this white guy and this white guy wore clan hood. All this crazy bullshit that's like you'd never see it. And um, I think what I'm saying is we might actually start to figure out how to wrangle our attention back. Mm, yeah you know what yeah, i mean I think like so i think it's like action reaction kind of like it gets too polluted with people the totalitarian tiptoes gone on too far and it's like all right all right this is too much like you're not convincing me anymore yeah. most people think this is bullshit we, like someone who lies to you all the or, time eventually you're just like yeah. don't fucking talk anymore i don't everything you say is bullshit i don't want i don't, you're just, <laughs> you're making i don't want to he- hear your voice right now because nothing you're saying matters because it's all lies and people yeah. will just do that to the to the, all this internet shit. They'll just be like, ah, all this is crap. And maybe, we've said it before, stealing from Sam Tripoli, maybe authenticity is the currency of the future. Because people, yeah. that's what they'll want because they'll be, they'll, it will be taken away from them in every facet of life. I just think, yeah, authenticity is always the currency that carries us forward. Like, that is the the living breathing spirit that civilization and community is rooted in is authenticity yeah. and truth. And you may it's not, like you can't get away from it. It's the tether. Yeah. Well, it but it's but inauthentic shit, we like you're this article you're telling me about, it has mm-hmm. so much effect all the time. And it's like it's weird. But people I think will still will just grow again. Just like I've said this before. Corporations are not people. They're letterheads like they're not, you know, like they're made of people. Like yes. there's, there's but people. They're there. also legal entities that but they're, but super, they, yes. are superordinate to the people that exist beyond their lifetimes and can exist in perpetuity forever as the people go in and out. You know. And, so we, yeah. So they, so and we encounter them as entities, like as if they are those people, like they are a single entity. But honestly, there's a difference between Bud Light and. Like whoever makes Refor- Reformation Jude, one of my favorite beers, like they're mm. different. Just like and a it, small bespoke brewery yeah, but, or something. But a lot of times, small. So I used to work for a small business guy. It was me and him, and I watched him pull basically eighty thousand dollars out of his pocket one day to buy a new Bobcat because the wheel fell off the old one, and we needed it today. You know what I mean? Like that's a lot of money to just have on hand. Mm-hmm. So we will, as we like, pull away from the bullshit which is like so my point about bud light it bud light doesn't care about trans people that's inauthentic it's bullshit it's a fucking marketing ploy whether it went off well or didn't go off well doesn't matter it was marketing bullshit because bud light isn't a person bud light mm-hmm. the ceo changes the this the marketing manager changes this person ch- it's all changing the company's not even american anymore it's owned by some belgian company 
I mean, it's all bullshit. So yeah, there's a difference well, maybe... between that. Just like there's a million celebrities now, I think mm -hmm. more and more people are starting their own business. And I think that people seek that kind of thing out. I'm willing to pay a little bit more if I know that I'm not giving my money to Walmart or whatever, some place that has some practices that I don't really agree with. And in reality, what we used to know, by the way, and people used to say this all the time, even probably slightly before you were paying attention, was that small business is the backbone of America. And that does that's not like a patriotic statement, which people did start using it as like some kind of patriotic, like Republican something. Sure. It's like, no, literally. Like there's so many small. small businesses and they provide people with owners with incomes, with great incomes, normal, regular, everyday people that you run into at the store. I've known plenty of them. And they have employees, and sometimes those employees get paid great. Sometimes they don't, but some. But if when they're not, oftentimes they're learning something very interesting, or they're in a position where a small business has room to grow. You know, what I mean, like things can go yeah. expand very quickly. I mean, it's just a great thing, and it's like we're in like a no, I think middle ground right now where people are like, uh, everybody, nobody's working, everyone's a piece of shit and a lazy millennial or Gen Zer, but like also. I think we're seeing a transition where there's we were talking about the gig economy for a long time. It's like, shut the fuck up. You mean entrepreneurship? Like, is that what you're talking about? Like, <laughs> why are you calling it gigs? Like, that's bullshit. You know, if I'm a handyman, I'm a handyman. I can make $150 a day without trying as a handyman. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I think partly, yeah, maybe it's just technically correct to say that like Google cares or Apple cares about these because like Apple is not a person that can't care about anything. Like maybe someone in the organization or people in the organization at present care about this, but not all of them. Uh, Apple, which is a hope. A, that's a good thing. Yeah, like that's sure. great. <laughs> and Hopefully Apple that or Google as an institution in, you know, really its only interest is to survive. And in order to survive, it has to profit maximize, you know. And so everyone sort of is thrust under that um, as a part of the corporation. And I think partly what we're seeing, because I we've noted this in another podcast episode too, is that all of these issues, they seem to come from really large companies because I think we point at the scale of the company and we say, now that you have all these resources, Apple, Google, Microsoft, whoever, now you have to be involved in all these social causes. And I think that that is like the sort of post-capitalist, like Why did they have to do too that? big sort of problem that we're experiencing in capitalism. Why, why is that happening though? Like I don't understand, see, because I, I still don't actually understand. I think it's monopoly power. I think it's the thing people have been worried about a long, for a long but, time. But why like, go into the social, like why, why go into the social realm? Is it because when they get that big, they're going to come under fire for social problems because usually when you're that big, you're doing something fucking wrong. Like Walmart's well, I think thing with the whole like pushing out mom and pops by selling at a loss because they can because they have 600 other stores with a million employees and we'll just like hang on a second until crush everybody, close down half the stores, dominate the market. And so you'll come under fire for that. So in order to stop, in order to keep yourself from having to deal with that kind of social issue, you get involved socially, but you get involved with something that's totally ridiculous and has doesn't matter at all. And if it's a little controversial, that's good. If it's Dylan Mulvaney on Bud Lightcans, excellent. Because we don't that's not really our issue actually. That's a political problem. Sure. And 
whatever. Well, you know, yeah, <laughs> we've there's got definitely contracts. that like saving face politically. Um, but I think it's also like people demand it of you once you get to a certain size because the community looks to institutions and c- groups with power and influence to advocate for them. And I think you run into a real pernicious problem when the most powerful groups that you look to are not the government, but are institutions and corporations. And so you say, hey, corporation, you know, you need to be interested in doing this and whatever, instead of appealing to politicians and whatnot, who it literally is their job to think about what's best for the community. The corporation, its job is not to think about what's best for the community. And it might, and that might be great, but it that is not where its incentives lie. Its incentives lie in what's good for the bottom line. And so when it comes down to it, they will never advocate for something that hurts their bottom line. They just won't. Like, I mean, companies, I've been in companies that try to skirt around regulations about size, like anti-competitive regulations. They don't want to be regulated. And that's a real problem is that we can't curtail the growth and expansion of uh, institutions because I think capitalism is a great enterprise and has lifted a lot of people out of poverty. But scale and scope uh, and size really does pose a challenge to a democratic, civilized society. Yeah, and I um, think I think what yeah. I was saying earlier works here. I think I just hadn't gotten to the point where I applied it to this, but like, just like the people who recognize I got to be more choosy about what I'm doing on this scrolling situation on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or whatever, because too much is getting polluted with all this ad stuff. Ah, it's all crap. You know, I'm starting to get wise to oh, it. It's bullshit. I think there's a maybe that'll happen in many facets of society reality economics politics and people will do like what i'm doing as much as i can which is like i'll choose to go to the privately owned hardware store i don't know if it's the cheapest option but i know that it's a community business and i know that i've seen especially during this whole pandemic thing businesses especially restaurants that i really like that were privately held restaurants i feel so bad for the people we should try to interview those people. I would love to hear what happened to my favorite Italian joint because it was kind of new. Do you remember Bello? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Dude, their stuff was good. Like that was a good restaurant. Nobody knew about it, but they had recently renovated. Like they had gutted the place and read it and then boom, COVID hit and it's gone. And I'm like emotionally distraught, like literally still to this day, it's been years. And I'm like, that's so fucked up because like I liked that place. And I know that was just a little family. We used to live in next door to those people that owned that Italian restaurant in Cumming, Giorgio's. And it was like, yeah. that's like an established like staple of this town. And oh, it was sad. It was an assault on small businesses. Yeah. But I think the fact that that affect me so emo- affected me so emotionally, I feel like that's part of that pulling back where it's like, oh, what I realized by that happening is that I like small businesses you realize what you lost yeah yeah like the movie theater that you was there forever is gone now movies 400 doesn't exist and I, when i never went to the movies anymore but it was the cheapest in town it was a local thing it was a staple it was like a landmark and now it's just a car dealership or something but yeah. it felt very cool to have it like it had the old school lights and everything and i think people are start, will start to miss that unless i'm yeah. just getting old i don't know no, i think so I think so. I think we'll realize what we've lost. You know, we're sort of ignorant to it until you lose it or whatever they say. 
you don't know yeah, what yeah. you love until it's gone. Yeah. And yeah. Well, is that a song? I feel like there's a song in there. Yeah. Yeah. Only and, know you yeah. love it when you let it go. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Only miss the sun when it starts to snow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's or something like that. Yeah. I think it's there. Yeah. All of um, it's an old adage, I'm sure. I did want to read something um, to you uh, based on, I thought it was a good summary uh, of what we've talked about. And, and it was really inspiring and uplifting to me. And based on a conclusion, a callback to some of the things we've talked about with Young um, and also uh, with the four turnings that we've talked about, you can go check our episode out about that if you're interested. But uh, this is Carl Young uh, at the end of uh, The Spirit of Man, Art, and Literature. That's the title. What is it? Um, this is a book or an article or something? I think... I don't know if this is an is like a section in a book or, or something. Mm. This is an anthology of his work, so I don't oh, know oh, if okay. these are books. This is just the particular work that this part is from. Um, actually, the full title is "The Relation of Analytical Psychology to Poetry: The Spirit in Man, Art, and Literature," and it says, "Peoples and times, like individuals, have their own characteristic tendencies and attitudes." The very word attitude betrays the necessary bias that every marked tendency entails. Direction implies exclusion, and exclusion means that very many psychic elements that could play part in life are denied the right to exist because they are incompatible with the general attitude. The normal man can follow the general trend without injury to himself, but the man who takes back to the streets and alleys because he cannot endure the broad highway will be the first to discover the psychic elements that are waiting to play their part in the life of the collective. Here, the artist's relative lack of adaptation turns out to be his advantage. It enables him to follow his own yearnings far from the beaten path and to discover what it is that would meet the unconscious needs of his age. Thus, just as the one-sidedness of the individual's conscious attitude is corrected by reactions from the unconscious, so art represents a process of self-regulation in the life of nations and epochs. What does that mean? Well, what's the yeah, condensed so version? I think the one thing he's saying is sort of like we talked about the artists in uh, the four turnings or whatever. And he talks a lot about art and how the deepest, best art is highly symbolic and the symbols are rich with meaning from our unconscious. Like they're symbolic and they're unconscious because we couldn't actually say what they are. We can sort of create them. We can create these great works of art. We don't even know what they mean sometimes. They just spill mm -hmm. out of our unconscious. And great artists will say that, like they're possessed by the you know creative spirit or whatever. And so he talks about that. And, and he's saying sort of like these people are the remedy to our day and age because they reveal things to us that we're missing or lacking and the the artists who are eccentric and tread off the beaten path are actually there to discover the things that we need that we're not aware of um and so he yeah sort of says it in a very poetic way um but i thought yeah while it's difficult to go one's own way and stray from the crowd um there is a strength and advantage in doing that, and the outcasts may yet be uh, the hero. 
Yeah, that's a possibility. It it fits in with that fourth turning book a little bit that I'm reading. That like some it always is yeah. kind of giving way, giving way, giving way, which uh, kind of fucks me up a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> it's it's weird, you know, because it's like it doesn't knowing that doesn't give you like an understanding of the meaning of life. So it's like if it's not linear, like the trajectory of time and history. And in fact, there's always this kind of replacing and replacing, and obviously there's generation after generation, and it's like, well, shit. Now it's even, it's almost like a worse notion because you're like, it just keeps going. But what do we, do? what hat, what, what, what do I do? What, what does that mean? What, what do, do I do now? With that? What do now? Yeah. yeah, no, it's not prescriptive. And he says this thing too in that chapter where he's like, no one can penetrate the heart of nature. It's sort of like kind of a poetic way of saying what you're saying like no one really ever gets to the truth uh, a complete conscious understanding of what's going on um and he was saying that with relation to science he's like no science ever penetrates the heart of nature um we get close we approximate it we stand back and we say oh i found something uh but yet the the thing itself is uh forever elusive but yeah I thought it was uh, inspiring and encouraging what he said because, yeah, I see figures that, you know, are kind of outside the norm, being ostracized, being outed by society, being canceled. And, uh, yeah, I think that's what we need, though. Those people are trying to to show us a, a different again, way, a better way. Again, the system building its own coffin. You're, you're pushing out all these mm. people, and people are going to get wise to it, and they're going to look at those people. People that never cared about I'm just making this up but I believe it people that never cared about Alex Jones almost see him as a after Alex Jones got canceled for realsies like off the internet except for his own little corner that's when he started going on the Rogan show a lot that's when he started getting promoted I don't know if that means mm. he's bought and paid for or what but <laughs> if it doesn't mean that then what it means is it's it's well known it's a well known political philosophy or political notion that you can't kill a hero or someone who doesn't deserve to be killed in front of the people because the people will see the injustice in it and they'll with recoil from you yeah you know yeah. like obviously i think yeah it takes hold because so, and it, it, it turns archetypal. them in, yes and it turns them into heroes to do that exactly. to them. so it's like oh this is the thing we don't want we're gonna crush you motherfuckers by taking all this away and it's like well there's gonna be a couple few heroes and as soon as they stand up you're not gonna know what hit you like you're gonna have such a harder yeah. time because you're gonna have like a jesus walking around you know exactly. and there's gonna be a whole fucking religion made out of it and it may not even be a good one but it could happen you know you got to be careful but that you've accidentally created yes yeah. i'm what game yeah. i mean i'm literally rewatching game of thrones and i'm at that exact point right now where the mm. Have you watched? You never watched it, yeah. No, so, no. There's this part in the series where the religious fanatics start to kind of take over. It's religious fanatics for the seven. There's different gods. There's like the Lord of Light and this one and that one. But this is group, and they're like obsessed with the gods, and they start to like take over. And there's this one point where these two families who are getting married to establish more and more power, the Lannisters and the Tyrells. And the religious people have taken them prisoner and the king is young and naive and he's easily swayed by the like by basically the pope, even though he's not a pope. And mm. his wife is in prison, his, his mother's in prison. It's a whole problem. 
And so eventually somebody comes up and is like, we're going to take these motherfuckers down. Like, we're just going to go kill them all and get our people out of jail because it's from these families who are in power. And they go up there and basically they were able to turn, the religious fanatics were able to turn one, It's or at least so it seemed, they were able to turn one of the prisoners religious, basically, make them like a believer kind of. Oh, mm. I do deserve to be punished. I do blah, 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 you know, this kind of thing. And that person also did the, them a favor that she, the prisoner, which was the wife of the king, convinced the king to be religious as well. So this is a big deal for the religion. And they're like, we're not going to make you do all these horrible things that we were going to do to you because you did this great thing for us. And when the mother of that person showed up right before they were about to kill all these people, they were up on the steps, you know, way up on the temple top or whatever, and they were going to come up there and murder them all. And then this little announcement was made about these conversions and somebody said, what does that mean? And then the mother, who was a very powerful, basically as powerful as you can get in this realm, said, we've just been beaten. That's what it means. Because they could not do anything because the people who were all in attendance were like, no, this conversion has been made. The king now loves the lords or the gods and so does his wife. And everyone was like, yay. So if they went up there and killed, did anything, everyone would turn on them. Even though mm. we, because we're watching the show, get all the backstory and you're kind of thinking someone needs to kill these fucking people. They're crazy. <laughs> like everybody's bad. Everyone's bad, but like these people are scary. And it's like, there's nothing you can do because they've have their hero now and everybody's following. And eventually yeah. that table will turn. But anyways, it's uh, as much as I love the conspiracy side of things and that all this stuff is orchestrated and, and there's so many like moving parts. There's always that aspect of from the perspective of the elites, it must be horrible because it's this unpredictable and they try to do as much predicting as they can. They try to mess with it, but you never know. Like anything could happen. You know, it makes sense why the government's always hyper focused on these social media companies being regulated because it's like, Someone needs to be in control of this because anything could happen. Anything. Yeah. People are just as fucked up as they were a millennia ago. And <laughs> you could start a revolution on accident that you don't want. And I was going to say this last thing, because I know you probably want to say something. So I'm talking a lot. <laughs> Plato. Okay, let me just six. Plato wrote dialogues. And the dialogues were of Socrates. Socrates is somewhat, people think that Plato was a guy that wrote philosophy and Socrates was a guy that wrote philosophy. Socrates did not write anything, so far as we know. Socrates was some weird dude that wandered around ancient Greece, but everything Plato wrote was essentially a dialogue that Socrates was having. Anyways, so in one of Plato's dialogues, mm -hmm. He wrote, a lot of people don't know that. It's a weird thing. So in one of uh, Plato's dialogues, it's called Ion, I-O-N. Read that. Mm. It's very important. But I'll give you a little summary from Wikipedia. Well, I'll read you the first section title. It's called Ion's Skill. So Socrates in this is having a conversation with Ion. That's how all of these work. It's literally like reading a play. Like if you read Plato's philosophy, it's actually entertaining because it literally will say, Socrates, colon, and then it has what he said. And then it will have a response. It'll say ion, colon, and then it'll have a response. And then it'll have Socrates, colon. It's like reading a play. Like literally, it's just a back and forth, a conversation. You're reading people talking. 
and it's very clear. There's no like, wait, who said that? Like, it just says who said it. It's so it's great reading. So he writes, uh, and this is one of the titles under the uh, dialogue summary, Ion's skill. Is it genuine? Ion has just come back from a festival in some Greek word at the city of some Greek word. After having won the first prize in a competition, Socrates engages him in a discussion, and Ion explains how his knowledge and skills is limited to Homer, whom he claims to understand better than anyone alive. Ion claims this. He understands Homer better than anybody alive. Socrates finds this puzzling, as to him it seems that Homer treats many of the same subjects subjects as other people, like Hesiod, subjects such as war or divination, and that if someone is knowledgeable in any one of these, uh, should be able to understand what both of these poets say, not just one or the other. Furthermore, this man is probably not the poet like Ion, but specialist like a doctor who knows better about nutrition, etc. Okay, so basically, so Socrates deduces from this observation that Ion has no real skill. This is back to what we started the conversation on, kind of. So Socrates deduces that Ion has no real skill. But he's like a soothsayer or a prophet, and he's essentially like being divinely possessed. Wait, why does he deduce that? Because he only knows Homer, well, or is it because he says he knows Homer better than everyone? He says he knows Ion's like I know Homer better than anybody. That's but my skill is limited to just knowing about Homer. Mm, and so and because Socrates of like, that, well, so that's similar to a lot of other things. Like, why wouldn't you maybe be an expert on the contents therein of like Hesiod, who's another writer? Sure. Yeah, okay. And so here's a quote from the work. For not by art do they utter these things, but by divine influence, since if they had fully learned by art to speak in one kind of theme, they would know how to speak in all. And for this reason, God takes away the mind of these men and uses them as his ministers, just as he does soothsayers and godly seers, in order that we who hear them may know that it is not they who utter these words of great price, when they are out of their wits, but that it is God himself who speaks and addresses us. Hmm. So he goes around in this dialogue and he's like, I went and talked to all these people, these like great poets, these great art. They love that kind of thing, you know, Hmm. poets and artists and artisans and people who know things are experts at this thing or that thing. And he goes around and he talks to them all. And Socrates decides these people are really dumb. For some reason, they don't know. Socrates maybe potentially being the founder, founding father of philosophy. So he's like, you don't, you're not thinking, you know, like, cause Socrates like, oh, I can just have conversations. That's what everything about Socrates is written by Plato. And all he wrote was dialogues, just conversations. Mm-hmm. So, Pla- so mm-hmm. the whole thing about Socrates, you just go around and talk to people and find out stuff, you know, just using being smart, you know, like I'll just ask a question. And if it all kind of fits together, it works. And he's like, something else must be happening because you have these great musicians and these great poets and these great writers and great orators and great politicians. But it's like, they're so dumb kind of is what he says. And he's like, so they must, some, so he's just like, wow, it's so crazy. Cause something else must be going on. Cause they are great, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but something else is happening. You know, some, and I almost think of like the, back to the original kind of collective unconscious or something else going on there and he thinks so he calls it like a magnetic chain back to like the the gods or something like there's some mm. way that like this god stuff is speaking is, through these people yeah somehow this stuff is getting in but these people are clearly not clever enough to know even what they're doing i'll ask them about their poetry and the meanings of it and they don't even know the meaning of it 
Right. They just wrote right. it somehow. You know what I mean? They're so confused. Yeah. No, that's what Young thought. And I think the price thing is interesting because I think it is really worth noting that when someone does or says or creates something at great personal cost in a manner that is inappropriate, you ought to pay attention because the question becomes, why are they doing that? Right. If, so like when David Icke was like... Why would they like, take the cost of doing this? Right. So when David Icke was like, oh, 5G could be happening... And they were like, die off the internet. And it's like, hey, maybe you should look at what that guy said because somebody really didn't want that to be said, apparently. Well, there's that. But then also the person thought it was so important to say that they were willing to risk dying over right, saying Right, so it. they figured, they kind of know, like, right. this is what I'm about to say is risky. And then they, right. do, yeah, so, uh-huh. That's a conscious way of thinking of it. Like if the person could calculate the cost and maybe they're not aware of that, but I think... He is saying it's like, you know, these people are sometimes at their wits end, like they're literally mad or something, it seems like these artists who like suffer personally, like, you know, they're ex uh, extirpated from society, you know, they're outcasts, they sometimes work so hard that they're ill or they're up night and day and, you know, they're suffering to create this work. And you're like, why would you go through all this? And it's like the artist is like almost out of their mind. They're like, I don't know. I have to create this work. Like the work has to be perfect. You know, it has to come out. Here's and, that bipolar uh, link to creativity again. Yeah. yeah. And so I think, uh, yeah, there's something there. It's something about like, yeah, it's like the voice of God speaking to us or something. And Freud and Jung, I think they called that like an autonomous complex. That's like the psychological literature term for that. The psychoanalysts would that's call annoying. that an autonomous complex. Yeah, that's annoying. But anyway, um, I did want to read something just back to the archetypes. So when someone becomes an archetype, when they embody an archetypal story, like someone gets outcast and gets their life starts becoming the hero's journey or something, I think uh, interesting things start to happen. So here's Young's uh. words on that. The impact of an archetype, whether it takes the form of an immediate experience or is expressed through the spoken word, so if someone lives it out or it's written down, it stirs us because it summons up a voice that is stronger than our own. Whoever speaks in primordial images, archetypes, speaks with a thousand voices. He enthralls and overpowers, while at the same time he lifts the idea he is seeking to express out of the occasional and the transitory into the realm of the ever-enduring. Can I he stop you there? Yes. So a lot of times when you read Young or whatever, you're like, what the fuck? Like, you just have to, you almost like you have to assume, you know, oh, I guess he must be know what he's talking about. I mean, I don't know. It sounds weird. It doesn't make sense. Like, it could be, but it couldn't, it might not be. Like, how would I know? But there is some logic to this, I think. This is just something that popped out while you were saying that. It's like, so let's just put it dumb-wise. Put it in layman's terms. I'm going to put it in layman term. If you speak to people and you say, like, something important, like, it's profound, you know, and it's symbolic, you know, because just like a lot of things, you know, that are symbolic, they can be interpreted one way or the other, I guess. But... I tell you this, ultimately, if you do speak symbolically on purpose, like a metaphor, you know, because think about this, like people like certain songs, right? And then like, you'd be like, man, I love this song because it's about like heartbreak. But then you'd be like, wait, I love this song too, but I, I think it's about this other thing. 
It's about love. It's about staying together. You know, you got mm-hmm. all these different interpretations of it. In that way, is speaking from more than one voice. He said it speaks from a thousand voices if it's symbolic. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, it's like there's the actual tangible evidence instead of just the woo-woo talk. Like, you know, because if I said something symbolically, then everybody's got to hear it. And when they hear it, they're going to have to rely just on something that's inside themselves to understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying, you know? And then whatever's, yeah. how did that stuff that's in them get in them? And if it's in them and then it's like consistent across at least some number of people, then that must mean that like there's something there, you know, like what is that? You know, it's not just society. It could be, but so either figuratively it's a thousand people, you know, like whatever's in the world <laughs> and our ancestors, but also a thousand people that hear it coming from a thousand different angles and kind of amalgamating back again, once again, like the Aurora Borealis back into a singular and a single understanding anyway. Exactly. Exactly. So yes, he says, uh, he goes on to say, the person who speaks archetypically or lives archetypically, he transmutes our personal destiny into the destiny of mankind and evokes in us all those beneficent forces that ever and anon have enabled humanity to find a refuge from every peril and to outlive the longest night. And then he says, this is the secret of great art. I wonder why that would be the case. Because why not non-beneficent? Why not benevolent? You mean, uh, why not? Malevolent? So Why not? I mean, yeah, malevolent, not benevolent. So he's saying it's like it's, good, it's, like it's going to evoke some good thing. Maybe. I'm just saying I wonder why. So the first thing, like I said, I understood it. I could come up with a reason why that would be true or how that could make sense. But this one, I'm like, well, it could be either or. Why does he think perhaps that it's going to be good, that it, the outcome will be right? Yeah. Well, maybe because it's truth, because it's based on what is and what was for sure. So it must be it can't it's not being interpreted from nothingness. It's coming from reality of some kind or another. Right. That's what I yeah was going to say. It's like maybe that's a little bit of a narrow interpretation of good, because sometimes good things don't always seem seem good. good. Yes. Like sometimes you only realize later that it was a good thing that this happened to you or you were deprived of this thing and taught you a lesson, maybe. That's the difficult God of judgment to deal with and to understand. Um, but yeah, I think he's saying like it's archetypal. It connects with lots of people, all of humanity. It represents all of humanity. It's the collective unconscious, the unconscious of all humanity. And that's the speaking with a thousand voices. Mm. But, you know, that's the archetypes. But then what are the archetypes? And he's like, that's like nature. Like the heart of nature is the archetypes. And so it's like, to go against them, to, you know, to act in an individual manner, you know, not in a collective, you know, instinctual human manner to sin against humanity, maybe that is a sin against nature. And that's why it's wrong. That's maleficent, you know, or malevolent. Um, So to go against truth in a way is like a problem. Right. And even though it may seem wrong in the moment and it often does because the people who act in archetypal ways are often ostracized and canceled as we're saying and so many people do view them as wrong um especially in the time and place like you know and that's the story of the hero is having to leave society after being ostracized that's jesus's story yeah especially you know, when and nobody's that's a saint, story. right so everyone can be 
on public display and whatever, you know. Uh, you yeah. can't take this guy seriously. He did this thing. You know, I know him about this, you know, this other problem. So, oh, no good. Right. But it's, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I thought that was, um, that was hopeful because uh, it does feel like maybe things are very tenuous at the moment and not heading in the right direction. Right. And who knows how long things will continue to go in a negative direction societally. Um, but I found that inspiring and uplifting. And I think the thread weaves through, it weaves through, you know, a single thread through all of what we discussed because the collective unconscious, you know, I was, we were already talking about collectively kind of withdrawing from the BS and trying to figure out almost not even trying, almost like naturally kind of evolving into this. And even through probably the help of these micro influencers slash the hero archetypes. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, that's both. what I was thinking when you were saying the, uh, what the hell is that guy named? Uh, what's the conspiracy Plato? guy? No. David Icke? <laughs> Alex Jones? No. Alex Jones. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was thinking is he's like becoming, he's being thrust into like a hero archetype, like someone who's been cast right. out and which could yeah. be done on purpose yeah. or maybe not because obviously this is an understood phenomenon i think there are literally sacrificial lambs and sacrificial as monica perez says sacrificial wolves you know oh. there's all sorts mm. of different types of people out there and people in power that understand these dynamics and that will be used and people who were willing to be you know all this kind of stuff but that yeah. just goes to you know show that there is that's kind of more fuel for sure. the flame of pulling back and going, oh, I'm just going to be... Maybe we're all being forced into a hero's journey of our own, whether we want to or not. It's like we're being pushed and it's like... Oh, yeah. I like think so. The apocalypse and is being ushered in and whether we want it to or not. Yeah. Apocalypse meaning the unveiling. Sure. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Like kind of... Like how Jordan Peterson, I feel like he's becoming more and more archetypal and how we were saying, you know, the artist fleeing from and going down the, the the not tread paths and you know going your own way is actually a source of strength i think that in some way that's like jordan peterson gets stronger as people try to cancel him more and more like the public tries to cancel him as he faces more and more adversity in saying what he really thinks i think it somehow emboldens him and makes his message more uh, true or something. Well, it's, he's definitely uh, found tremendous success throughout his controversial right, journey. Right. And even if they do kill him, like I think that maybe he is potentially fading away into obscurity and whether it's because of one reason or another, maybe he just becomes too dogmatic onto his own beliefs, but it doesn't matter because it's like he's being, as you become sometimes a caricature of yourself, if you had the right persona perhaps or whatever, you did it well Perhaps what happens is it's like you becoming a caricature of yourself is the fulfillment of like etching your own figure into stone, a statue, a monument of your likeness being erected. And because now he's kind of a little bit corporate, you know, he's part of Daily Wire and this, that and the other. But he's he's like established in longevity there. But there's this whole arc that he's left behind, this whole path, you know, that's been walked and. I don't know everything that he said, but I know that the spirit of it, I think, is way beyond anything anybody says about it, whether it's always some kind of right-wing lunatic or he's some kind of 
weird Canadian progressive that has some strange thoughts or just some obscure quack scientist. It's like none of that is it, you know? Yeah. Well, that's the thing back to the personal cost. Like that's what I admire about him in so many uh, situations is that he takes great personal risk to say what he's saying. And that yeah. to me is and the, the cost highest. gets greater and greater, I guess, as he finds yeah. his success. Yeah. And I think to me, that's the greatest, yeah, mark of, yeah, truth almost. It's like, if someone is willing to sacrifice everything for it, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, well, with that, we'll catch you next time. Say bye, John. End.